0: This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives, the power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. Today, I get to sit with Jennifer Anderson, a registered dietitian who specializes in childhood nutrition and nutrition tactics. I'm a father of three, and I became an instant fan of Jennifer's content on social media when I came across it. She has helped me more than I can explain with getting my kids to try new things and eat on a more structured program. Today we're gonna get into all those tactics. We're gonna talk about eating schedules and structure and picky eaters and bored eaters. If you are a parent, you will feel just like I do, that she is talking directly to you when she names some of the issues that arise. Her tactics are fantastic. They take patience, just like any habit change would for an adult, but they work. Jennifer is really intelligent, great to talk to, and has a very also entertaining social media page that you're going to want to see. Listen to the episode and then go search her out. All of her information is in the show notes. If you're a parent, again, I know you're going to enjoy this one. Pass along the info. And please remember, rate and review when you are done. Enjoy. All right. We are on with Jennifer. Jennifer, thank you so much for being on today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mike.
0: I would love to kick off with just a little background on, on you and, and how you got to doing what you're doing today with with your social media and your content. And I would love mm-hmm. to hear the, the link and how you got there.
1: Yeah, sure. So when I graduated from college, I had studied cultural anthropology and economics. But I got a job at a food bank, coordinating their youth nutrition program, and it kind of sparked my interest in the foundational role that nutrition plays in the health of communities. And, and then I got married, and and my husband was like, "You got to go back and get a master's degree," and I was like, "You're crazy," but he talked me into it. <laughs> and so I went back to school for nutrition, and I ended up studying public health, and then I became a registered dietitian. And it wasn't really until I had my first child and I was standing in the pediatrician's office and they were like, you know, he's not growing properly. I think he needs some pediature. That I was like, What? Where did this come from? How did we go from like he's fine, he's fine, to like immediately he needs pediature? So that that was a big wake-up call. Just because you know a lot about nutrition doesn't mean anything as far as, you know, you being a parent or your kid. Feeding kids is really a lot trickier than it seems. And it can be complicated as it goes along. And that's that's where it came from. You know, fast forward three years, I was sending them off to preschool, these cute little lunches. And uh, someone said, you know, why don't you just start an Instagram account? And so I did. I was like, I can't be the only parent struggling with this. Turns out I was not.
0: No, in, in fact, as we talked about before we started recording, it's every parent is struggling with this, yeah. and you know, and also as we talked about, we we always feel like we're a step behind,
1: right? You know, right? There, and every parent is struggling. Like parents all over the world are struggling with this. It's not easy to feed kids today.
0: So, so the kids led you to kind of the passion about the subject, mm-hmm. and now you have this site with this really big following, which I think is amazing. Mm-hmm. So obviously, it's you were right. There is is a huge need for this. Does that now fuel you to to kind of continue learning and to continue doing more with that, even to, to find new content, to find new things to talk about and what to put out there?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, as, as a content creator, the content monster is for real. (laughs) (laughs) I'm constantly like, Oh my gosh, what am I going to talk about? Um, But I think there's, there's kind of themes that go on and new things come up and, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll have an idea and I'll throw something out there and it sparks a lot of interest and then we'll kind of explore that topic. But yeah, absolutely. Having a large amount of people who are constantly asking me questions and telling me what their pain is and what their struggles are makes me, I mean, I am always learning. I have read so many books. I've, since I've started Kids Eat in Color, I've read textbooks, like textbooks on ARFID therapy, which is avoidant, restrictive intake, feeding disorder, All right. Make that up, but anyway, <laughs> there's there's so much to learn in nutrition. We I think the mainstream media makes it sound easy. Like, oh, you have a cold eat vitamin C. Like, if you actually get into the research, one that is not at all the case. But yeah, you do kind of need vitamin C when you have a cold, but also this idea that you can just like you know stave it off of vitamin C. These there's these myths, there's these these simplifications and, and the struggle is how do you present useful information to people while trying to add a little bit of nuance, (laughs) you know, Yes. like, yes, eat vitamin C foods, but also like you don't need to take 1 million grams of vitamin C every time you have a cold, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, and, and that's what I love about your page is you make things so applicable, I, I mean, I'm sure you've seen, I've, I've tagged you a few times in using things. And I'm like, this, this, I can use this today. Right. The the other day you had a post on the toothpick trick. Uh I forgot forgot what you called it, but. uh,
1: Toothpick magic.
0: Toothpick magic. (laughs) My son was, he's been in a peanut butter and jelly kick. I mean, that's the only Mm -hmm. thing he asks for. And we do the healthiest version of that possible, right? Organic peanut Mm -hmm. butter. We were out of jelly. So end of the world, right? Everything, everything's going to end right there. So I (laughs) attempted a hat, just one slice with peanut butter and banana. I was like, uh-huh. "You'll love it." He loves bananas, loves them. Yeah, meltdown at the idea. <laughs> your your sight, if, if my light bulb went off. I grabbed a toothpick, I put it in, and I ate one. And he goes, "Well, give me that." Right. And he devoured the entire with, thing
1: with a toothpick.
0: It was amazing.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, so, I,
1: I tell you, toothpick magic is real. It's a real. <laughs> It's a real thing and they should really teach it in nutrition
0: school. <laughs> I, yes. Well, maybe you should be going and teaching at nutrition school right. because, <laughs> because I think more, more need to hear these tricks. Yeah, You're so good at like your, like the way you present your content. Was that a natural thing for you? Like to be able to kind of, I mean, you're, you you got to I mean, as a fellow content creator, you have to be a little bit of an actor. Sometimes you have to be able to put on like an entertaining face. Was was that, yeah. that a natural yeah. thing? Or did you have to work no. at that?
1: Oh my gosh, my personality is very authentic. Like what you see is what you get. If I'm having a bad day, you would know it. But on Instagram and places like that, you can show those bad days, right? And that's important. But also, nobody wants to be like hanging out with somebody who's a downer all the time, right? And so there is this element of bringing your best self and deciding, yeah. You know, 20% of the time I can, you know, talk about sad things or I can talk about hard things, but you know, the other 80% of the time I got to be useful and I got to be bring the energy because I know as a parent who's struggling that I need someone else sometimes to be like, yes, you can do this. This is good and have enough energy to just kind of rub off on me a little bit. And then I'm like, okay, you know, maybe I can go grab that toothpick because, I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes as a parent and juggling the jobs and the, all the things right now, there's days where you're like, I don't have any extra energy to go walk into the kitchen and go grab that toothpick. You know, I didn't get any yeah. sleep last night. I got a kid who's sick. I got a kid who's doing this and doing online school, and you know, yeah. juggling childcare with my husband. I'm not going to go get the toothpick. But like you said, if I could be there with a little extra energy and say, yeah, you know, just grab the toothpick, suddenly it doesn't feel as hard and parents can walk away and say, you know what? I can do that little thing. I can do that little thing. And often that little thing leads to a feeling of accomplishment. It leads to the kid having a little more success eating. And then you walk away saying, oh look, I did that. And you feel proud of yourself and you take that onto the next task. And then you're like, oh, I have a little more energy for my day.
0: You know, something you just brought up that just made my light bulb go off, the impact you're having on parents and their ability to repeat things and to not stress as much, you know, and we're going to get into the science of the kids here in a minute. But now that I had like one trick, like, you know, it, it almost brought out my creative self, like, okay, well, next time, what can I try? What's something similar to that But instead of it being a task where I'm wrapped up in my, maybe I'm impatient that day. Like you said, it's been a long day at at my business and I didn't sleep the night before. And I really don't have the most pain. I'm not in the best state of a parent mindset, but because I have now these examples of things working, I'm a little more apt to be like, I can find something. We're gonna gonna make this work. I'm gonna be creative. So you're you're really changing the mindset of the parent along with helping the kids eat more nutritiously.
1: Right, because we know as parents, you know, if I'm in a bad mood my kids are going to be in a bad mood <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> which is not convenient right but we do rub off on our kids and and what we do rubs off on our kids so if we're eating the salad and then we hand them a toothpick you know they may start eating the salad because they see us doing it and and they and and you had that idea of like oh yeah it, it's not that big de- i could just i can grab a toothpick it's not that big of a deal And the same thing goes for when you decide you can like let go of pressure on your child and say, you know what? I can let my child decide how much they're going to eat. I'm not going to get involved. That is often, it feels like jumping over the Grand Canyon for parents. I mean, it feels like a flying leap. Like I'm going to die. I'm going to stop being a good parent. My kid is going to become ill and waste away. And all these bad things are going to happen. That's how it feels. But often when parents jump, they realize that it was like a solid road the whole time and their kid does really well and they do really well after that initial transition period, you know? So there's these things where if we change our mindset about something, we change our approach, we often come away with more tools and a better sense of accomplishment and peace in ourselves because, you know, mealtimes can be real stressful.
0: Uh, very and what you just touched on is I think my biggest challenge point and something I'm still working on to be honest Mm -hmm. it's that idea of fighting yourself to say can you have three more bites can you eat this first before that can you like I like I'm I I love that they love fruit my kids adore fruit but they won't touch any type of protein source to save their life you know so I'm I'm sneaking (laughs) things in so it's very hard for me not to not to sit there and, and try to pick at it. And I catch myself better. Like I'm getting there, but it's a really, it's a really hard challenge for me. So where do you start? Where's the first place you give parents advice in this realm?
1: Yeah. So I usually start with the no pressure idea of like, you know what? It is really at the core, not your job to make sure your child swallows food. Now there may be times where there's a medical condition. You have to you know, your child may need a feeding tube or something like that. In that case, it is your responsibility. You got to do it. But that's like a a minority, right? In the rest of the cases, you are there to be your child's eating companion. This idea comes from Ellen Satter, who's the creator of the Division of Responsibility in Child Feeding. And, And she describes like, we want to be the companion of our child sitting at the table. And it's our job to help them Listen to their body. What is their body telling them? Because this is the tool that they need in the 2020s, right? Mm-hmm. Because the food environment is not healthy out there. The food environment is not healthy. They are going to be exposed to mountains of nutrient poor foods. They are going to go to parties where there's just massive amounts of food. They're going to go to restaurants where there's, you know, two or three servings on a plate. And what we want to help kids learn to do, and you know, at the same time, there's also kids who don't really have a sense of hunger and they're not necessarily eating enough, which is the case with my kid. But what we need to help kids do is quiet and listen and learn over time to hear what their body is telling them without any baggage. Cause you know, we live in a diet culture. There's so much baggage and all that baggage this is good food and that's bad food and this is high calorie and low fat and high fat and blah, blah, blah. I mean, you name it. Mm -hmm. All that makes it harder. It's all noise. It's all noise and it makes it harder for the child to listen to their body. But if the only thing that you can do is model good eating, model, and by good, I mean a variety of foods, right? And teach your child to listen to your body. That is probably the most important skill that you could ever give them for a lifetime. Because learning to eat what your body wants is a skill that helps you nourish your own body it helps you stand up for yourself and it also is a skill that you learn to take with you your whole life because you're confident in what your body needs and when someone says uh oh just try it maybe you'll like it in re, you know in a social relationship it related to drugs i mean who you know these yeah. these things comes up in kids lives yeah. We need to give them that ability to know themselves and be like, no, you know, I actually don't want that. That's fine. And and if we've given them that chance six times a day, three meals and three snacks for their whole childhood, by the time they're 18 and they leave, they're going to feel a lot more confident in what their body wants and how much to feed it and what to do with it. And so, you know, now my kids are five and seven, and they're saying, like, every once in a while, I'll still pull, like, "Hey, you really need to eat this," like, putting on a little pressure. And my kids look at me like, "You are so crazy. That is not like you can't tell me what my body needs." <laughs> the other day, my, <laughs> my five-year-old was like, "I know what my body wants," <laughs> and I was like,
0: uh, <laughs>
1: yeah, "It's there. You you got me." So I think that's a skill that like gives them long-term health.
0: I love the link you you made to the future, which is also a question I had for at some point. But I'd like to get into the food because I love that. So food choices from the parent side, within the home, still becomes a thing, right? Because yeah. you, you, like you said, it's they're not going to escape it in the world we live in. Eventually, they're going to leave the house and go to friends' houses and sleepovers mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So in terms of within your household, are, are you just trying to present the most nutrition, most nutrient-dense and variety of foods you can? and just hope that eventually if that's all that's available they're eventually going to make those choices. Yeah, um,
1: I mean, I mean here's the, here's the thing. Right now in a pandemic, I am trying to survive. I I am, <laughs> you know, the month of December for my family was a survival month. That meant we ate probably twice as much takeout as we've ever eaten. We ate more convenience things than we've ever eaten. And that's okay. Sometimes we have these survival times. And and when I look at survival times, I think of like harm reduction. How can, I, how can I buy the best convenience food that I can afford? How can I get the best takeout that I can afford? How can I do the best I can with my capacity? Which, you know, when my kids were little, there were some really rough times and we had Cheerios for dinner, which, you know, that's not even a balanced meal. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you know what? It got us through those times, and now our meals—you know—those meals that are like not very balanced are more like eggs and toast, which is actually a pretty decent meal. So you know, we have to we have to look at these recommendations within the context of real life and real life scenarios. And so, yeah, sometimes we have these survival menus, and then the rest of the time, I'm I'm really focused on it, and this is what I do with my real easy weekdays. I kind of balance this aspect of like, we don't always have time to cook. So yeah, you know, it's okay to actually go buy a pizza crust and make a pizza at home and serve a side salad and teach kids. Yeah. You could put broccoli on a pizza or you can put bell peppers on a pizza. I think pizza is a great vehicle for introducing veggies to kids and we can make that at home and we can have a really fun time and it's good. But like in real easy weekdays, it's all about vegetable exposure. How can we get as many colors into our diet on a regular basis as possible, because the more kids see it, the more they're likely to eat it. The more they see it, the more they're likely to think it's normal. I mean, one of my kids really, really, really likes braised kale. I feel a little proud, but also I feel mostly lucky because I've been a parent long enough to know you win some lotteries and you lose some
0: lotteries. Yeah, right.
1: My other kid Eh, you know, it's a hard sell for him, which is fine. He's learning to like it. But he takes, you know, about three years of food exposure to learn to like a new thing. So I think a lot of this is the regular exposure. Like, what are you eating as a parent? And what are you feeding your kid? Are you making them a special meal? You got to stop doing that. That's one of the things that I really help parents learn is we don't just cater to the kids. As soon as they start catering, they start losing their exposures and exposures is what they need. So that may look like, you know, making a meal and having some of those nuggets on the side. And yeah, maybe they only need eight nuggets of that meal, but they still got the exposure to all the other foods that everybody else at the table was eating. So for extreme picky eaters, you know, maybe they're only gonna eat the nuggets. And a, a lot of the families in my Better Bites program are in that boat where they have kids who only eat five foods, but we still gotta keep giving kids those exposures. Yeah. Were you a kid only eating five foods?
0: I, well, my son, my my three year old is who I'm thinking of right now. No, I was I was the opposite. I was looking okay, oh, at okay. everything. I, okay, <laughs> I, I I had the opposite problem. I couldn't I couldn't shut it off. But that's my three year old, and I and again, I feel like you're speaking to me in a lot of your posts. There, there's five or six foods, mm-hmm. and and when we you know there's there's organic chicken nuggets, but we try to put some some doctored up green beans of some kind. You know, on the, just on the side of the plate. Yeah, because once out of every eight times, he'll eat them. Right. But seven out of eight, he'll look at him like, I can't believe. He'll actually, you know, he'll he'll try to push the entire plate away just to get away from the green beans. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a work in progress, but I'm, but I definitely, I'm raising one of the kids that you're talking about.
1: Yeah. But what's amazing is you're sticking with it, right? You're saying, okay, I know this is a sometimes food for him. And when I say a sometimes food, I mean, sometimes they eat it, sometimes they don't. You know, the green beans, they're sometimes food, but sometimes he does eat them. Yeah. And the other seven times, He's still getting exposed to them. And, you know, maybe you could put a little plate on the side and be like, you know what, if you don't want them on your plate, go ahead, just put them to the side. That sort of no pressure, I think, is really going to serve him well over time because some kids need more time. They just need more time to be able to learn to eat a wider variety of foods. And that's what we go over in my Better Bites program, which covers even advanced methods for how to get kids to try new foods? Because, you know, when you only have five or six foods, you're generally an extremely picky eater. And it's really hard for you to learn to try new things. Like that, that can be a really scary, disgusting, or just like overwhelming experience. And so we break it down. How do you do that in a way that helps the child try a new food in a positive way where you're not forcing it down your throat or bribing them mm-hmm. into trying it or something like that?
0: Yeah, well, and and bribing, that's, I have a question I have for you too. Um, But first, when do you think food choices from the child start to come into play? You know, like I told you, I've got Mm a, my stepdaughter's 10 and then my boys are three and one. Mm -hmm. You know, we're we're slowly trying, you know, my my stepdaughter wants to demand what she wants to eat. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when is it okay to start giving kids at what, is there an age, is there a typical red flag you look for? you know, Is there there something you look for when it's like, okay, the kid can start making their own choices with food?
1: Yeah. So I think of it as a continuum. So, you know, obviously when babies are born, they have no choice. You're getting breast milk or formula and that's, that's it. And then they start to be introduced to food. And then as they become toddlers, they start to have opinions (laughs) and they start to either eat or not eat various things. And then as they begin to kind of head toward the preschool years, they just want to express their opinions, right? I mean, really catering to a preschooler is not a good idea <laughs> because they just, it doesn't matter what you, how you cater, you're gonna get it wrong. Right. But then as you begin to move into elementary school, I feel like kids really start to develop a, um, a bigger sense of like, how do I feed myself? And I feel like around elementary school is when you start introducing concept of like, hey, this is what balance looks like. A balanced snack means a protein food, an energy food, and a fruit or a vegetable, right? These really basic formulas for them
0: Mm
1: -hmm. so that they can start to get their own snack, right? And you're still deciding what's for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, more or less, you know, maybe morning snack too, but then, you know, that afternoon snack, that is when you say, okay, you go into the house and this is your formula, you serve yourself a balanced snack, right? And then as they get into high school, you lose a lot of that, right? Maybe they're making their own decisions for lunch, maybe they're making their own decisions for breakfast, but you're still trying to help them understand these concepts of balance and the options you're providing at home are gonna provide a lot of what their options are but you're still saying, you know, but we're all going to come together for a family dinner if that's something you can do. So that by the time they're actually leaving the house, they have some basic concepts of like, oh, this is how to create a balanced meal. Maybe you've also taught them some cooking skills. This is how to actually cook basically for myself. This is how to create a shopping list. This is how to go to the store. You know, so I think of it as a continuum, like, let's assume I want my kid out of the house at 18. (laughs) And, you know, that age is going to vary by kid. But Right. If I don't want them to leave at 18 and be able to feed themselves decently, what skills do they need? And how can I go from like a one-year-old to this 18-year-old? What are kind of those steps that I need to introduce over time as they're expressing interest and and developmental skills, you know?
0: Sure. And you're right. Cause she is, you know, she'll start asking the question of, is this healthy? You know, she'll grab something out of it or we'll be yeah. at the grocery store. Yeah. I, and I love when I hear it. At least I know, I, I feel like something's sticking, <laughs> you know, it's like a little win. <laughs> just for her to say the word healthy and ask and care about it, you know, and I've tried to, you know, we've slowly linked things like sports to like, well, you really love basketball right now, you know, things like this help you to have more energy and help you to feel better and help yeah. you be better in school, you know, and yeah. we're starting to make those links and and little by little, we see a click, which is nice. I think we have work to do, but.
1: But I think, I think you're right. Like when we link their actual body function to foods even more than a label, like like healthy, what does healthy mean? Right. But when you say this chicken is protein and when, you know, she's 10, right? So she can yeah. probably understand a little more. So you can say, sure. you know, when you're playing basketball and you're working out and you're doing all those push-ups, getting ready to get stronger so you can shoot the ball, your muscles are breaking down. If you want them to get bigger, their protein has to be there to build those muscles back together, right? And then suddenly in her mind, she's like, oh okay so if i actually want those muscles when i'm hungry and my mom puts chicken on the table maybe i want to take some bites of that chicken because that's what my muscles need the more of these like actual facts that we can give kids i feel like the more tools that they have over time to really combat all of these crazy messages like this is healthy that is healthy You know, my kid comes home to me at five and says, you know, Johnny at school says uh, chocolate is bad for you. Well, gosh, I mean, if we're going to talk about chocolate then we got to really get into chocolate. We got to talk about antioxidants. We got to talk about (laughs) the different fats in it. We got to talk about how much sugar we, there's so many things. We got to talk about the theobromine and the caffeine and the, you know, how many things does chocolate have in it? Like a thousand, right? Uh, That's an exaggeration, but like, right. But so why do you say, you know what? There's foods that do a few things in our bodies and there are foods that do a lot of things in our bodies and chocolate actually does quite a few things and so we learned about a few of those things and then the next time someone comes to him and says dessert is bad he was like but mommy really dessert just does a few things in your body and other foods do a lot more to me that's the win because we're really making these science-based fact-based we're kind of fueling them with fat to kind of blow through some of this diet culture smog that is just kind of floating around everywhere
0: I love that and I love that I love that connection to the to the child over that and Eva comes home all the time for with with questions and reporting of what other kids are eating because well you know we don't have this in the house but this friend brings this to lunch every day mm-hmm. you never buy this, why don't you you know so that that question's coming up all the time that's and the cool. you know what she gets it's an, it's only going to happen more right as she gets yeah. more exposed to more and more cultures.
1: Right. And and that's the other thing is like, I don't personally, I don't want my kid going to preschool and saying, hey, your mommy's feeding you poison because that happens. You talk to any preschool teacher, they all have a story where some kid has come in and looked at another kid's lunch and told them it's poison. Well, we don't know if that kid is an extreme picky eater, if they have a medical condition, if yeah. their their parent is... Uh, going through a divorce, if they have a parent who doesn't have a job right now. I mean, we don't know anything. We don't know what is going on behind a lunch that people have. And so I've worked really hard on kind of these concepts of, yeah, some foods do a lot, some foods do a little. And every parent is giving their kid what they need, right? So that when my kid goes in, they're not, you know, saying, oh, that's such a gross meal. Why would you do that? They're saying, oh, that's interesting that you have, that's, you know, the... A different food. Not to say my kids are angels and they're never going to say something mean.
0: <laughs> <Other kids. laughs> that would be
1: inaccurate. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but we really want to kind of give them some of these ideas of like, how do you look at food from a non-judgmental perspective? And what do you do if your kid, if your friend always has Oreos and you like are developing this real fascination with Oreos? Like, what do we want our kids to do? For me, I want my kid to come and tell me, hey, I want some Oreos and I want to go get some Oreos and have some Oreos and then move on with my life and not regularly have Oreos around. You know, I think when we have those, that communication open and when we're talking to the kids and being like, yeah, no big deal. Oreos are Oreos. No, they're not around our house all the time. But when we have them, we eat them and then we move on. You know, the more we can kind of decrease those obsessions and those fascinations, the more we kind of, Help them fight back against some of the food marketing, and I needs of scarcity and that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, which is not always getting better fast either. I mean, it's a whole different conversation, but yeah. but yeah. the options out there aren't exactly speeding to the right the right um, avenue. Yeah, a big challenge for us at our house. I'm talking a lot about my kids, but that's what I can relate to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a floor plan where our living room is it's just a giant floor plan. So we're right next to the kitchen. Literally, the couches inches away from the food cabinet. Uh So especially with COVID and being home more um, for two months, I was home with the kids and my wife even longer. Yeah. We definitely ran into the, the bored eating category where it's, they can see it, right. The fridge is right right there. The thing of bananas is right in the middle of the counter. So every time they get bored for a second, they're asking. Right. So we've, and we, we still struggle with this. This is still a challenge of, you know, it's 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 nonstop throughout the day. We feel like it's it's only being almost almost like becoming like an obsession to just kind of constantly eat throughout the day. Right. We try, I try to get the kids in the basement just to get away from that floor sometimes, just to you know <laughs> do do different things. Yeah, yeah. What is your stance on on kind of bored eating and how to yeah. maybe create better structure? Yeah. Um.
1: So. Right. So I know what you're saying, and I think a lot of parents are really struggling with this families. I highly, highly, highly recommend kind of a structured form of eating where we eat formally. We sit down and we eat a balanced snack. But those are served routinely. So we use kind of a a rough schedule. Now, when I say schedule, some people are like, oh, my gosh, I don't do schedules. It's fine. You don't have to do schedules. But my guess is most parents are, are doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then their kid needs a mid-morning snack and they also need a mid-afternoon snack or an after-school snack. But these need to be formal eating opportunities. The reason that I've been using the term formal more is because if you just let your kid have a banana for a snack, a banana is carbohydrates and you know it's got some other things in it too, but it is mostly carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Your kid is gonna blow through that banana in like 15 or 20 minutes. And guess what? They're gonna be hungry again. I want another banana. Or I want crackers or you know, whatever they can see, whatever, you know. Now, especially with like 18 month olds, they're gonna start wandering over to the snack cupboard and opening it up and taking stuff out. This is not what we want. Grazing has a lot of side effects. Causes some kids to eat more than their body needs because they can't hear that hunger and fullness. They they don't really know the difference between bored and hungry, right? It's it's actually not Always easy to hear what your body is saying. So we need to help them. When you have had a decent amount of time, a couple hours between a meal and a snack, you guess what? You're gonna know if you're hungry and you're gonna be hungry. And the kids, you know, especially toddlers, they have small stomachs. They need to be fed, you know, usually need to be fed snacks as well. They're gonna know, hey, I am actually hungry. So having that time where you're like, oh, you know, roughly around. You know, we have breakfast, I don't know, seven o'clock. And then around 9, 30, 10, my family has their morning snack. I've had so many stories of families who've said, now my kids are happy all day because I'm feeding them before they're starving and whining for a snack. Because I, I planned it. I just said, you know what? I'm going to feed them all a snack at four o'clock. And guess what? Now they, they aren't killing each other. Yeah. At, at 4 30, when I realized, oh my gosh, they needed a snack. Like having this routine, even if it's not exactly the same time every day, is important for regulating the circadian rhythm and your hunger and fullness cycles, right? So your body begins to anticipate being fed at these times. And this helps kids get in touch with their hunger. And it also stops the hunger whining. And this is. This is what's so important. I feel like families miss because initially it's kind of hard to set up one of these schedules because you have to set a boundary. And you got to say, it's not snack time. The kitchen is closed. That is not going to go over well with your three-year-old. I guarantee you. Or your 10-year-old or your one and a half-year-old. Right. It's just not. And so setting that boundary and saying it is not the time to eat. Is gonna be a hard transition for a week or two until the kids understand, oh, dad is serious. He's the kitchen is closed. So once the kitchen is closed, you know, and the kid is like, I'm hungry. Oh, well, it's not eating time right now. Do you wanna do, do you wanna do a puzzle right now? Do you wanna go for a bike ride? Do you wanna go play in the basement? What do you wanna do? It's gonna be rough, trust me, but it's worth it because once their hunger regulates to the cycle and you're serving a balanced meal with protein, fat, and carbohydrate foods, like you get the whole thing there, kids begin to eat more at that meal and more balance. And then they can actually make it to the next meal or snack without losing it, which is priceless, right? So my kids don't whine for snacks all day. They don't. They know that, hey, snack is coming and then lunch is coming, and then afternoon snack is coming, and then dinner is coming, right? It's like never yeah. ends. We also do bedtime snacks, so it's like six, you know, three meals, three snacks. But that, like the combination of you providing a balanced snack and the kid being, and you providing the eating opportunities is a real game changer.
0: And one thing we struggle with, I, I, it's, I, I love it, and I've, you know, our kids are not being watched by the same people every day. You know, so it's, yeah. we, I, I've struggled with giving direction. It's my problem, not, not my mom, not my in-laws, not our babysitter. Right. But we literally have five different combinations of people that might be watching oh, our kids. Goodness. You know, it's just the nature of me yeah. owning a business, my wife being a full-time nurse, and it's just, we're all working.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: So I've struggled with probably giving direction. And that's, again, that's my fault. Maybe I need to be better about saying, here's their plan for the day. But do you see that also with other parents who maybe have yeah varying you, living arrangements
1: not even not even like different caregivers i mean this is just like sometimes we we struggle just it, let's say you have a commitment to feeding on a schedule but you know pandemic life is chaotic so mm-hmm. we also have to keep in mind we have the ideal and what we want but then there's also current realities sometimes which make it so that we can't get to the ideal that's okay that doesn't make us bad parents that just makes us parents who are doing the best we can, which is equally good as to following the best practice. Um, But with that said, if you do have a lot of caregivers, having some sort of schedule where you say, this is what, you know, I want them to be fed at this time, at this time, at this time, and making it easy for the caregiver to implement is often useful. Now, sometimes with grandparents, it gets a lot more complicated Because no grandparents want to be the bad guy, in my experience. I mean, when we visit my mom, I'm not even kidding. I'm pretty sure she feeds my kids 11 times a day. It is like every hour she's got a new snack that she's giving to them. (laughs) And then she wonders why they don't eat dinner. I'm like, mom, but they've eaten 20 times already today. Of course they're not hungry for dinner. So so there's these things. and, And you know what? We're there three weeks out of the year. I just say, fine, it's fine. And then of course, when we get back and have to get back on the schedule again, you know, it's not a pretty sight for a couple of weeks. But but yeah, so you you always have to balance this. And sometimes when, you know, maybe parents are providing free childcare and you really can't tell them what to do. In which case you just say, you know what? This is what it is. And I'm going to accept that. And I'm just going to move on. And I'm going to say, and I understand, yeah, that's going to cause some board meeting. And, and, you know, maybe it's not the best, but it's okay because this is what's best for our family right now. So we always have to balance that. There's the best practice and then there's our reality. How much of the best practice can we do in our reality? And we have to be okay with that because our reality is real. <laughs> like that is what matters is our reality, not the best practice.
0: Yeah, and this idea of it being difficult for children, it's difficult for adults. The idea of, of of having structure. I mean, I work with adult population. So, you know, weight loss is the most common thing that comes into a gym. That's the most uh-huh. common goal of any adult is weight loss. So the idea of, you know, and I do the same thing of trying to, you know, to differentiate the, the idea between bored eating and what your body actually needs. I have adults that really struggle with those concepts of the difference too. So the idea of of a logical adult that can't get themselves to understand, of course, a child would have difficulty with it. And, you know, and I love that you touched on the idea of burning through the carbohydrate. You know, the adult world feels hunger, but then reaches for what they want, right? It's like a kind of like a brain trick. Well, I know I need something, but here's what I enjoy.
1: Right, right.
0: So again, if an adult's going to do it, of course a child is going
1: to... Yeah, I mean, our bodies are designed to survive, which is awesome. Yeah, right. I mean, I have a really deep appreciation for survival, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, we should never discount our body's drive to survive. And yeah, like often parents will come to me and say, my kid is sneaking snacks. My kid is sneaking mm-hmm. treats. The number one reason that I find kids are sneaking snacks is because they're hungry, they're hungry. And they're gonna, they're going to eat the most calorie dense, easy food that they can get to feed their hunger. Like that is, again, they are wired to survive and the fastest energy source that they can get to satisfy their hunger is what their survival wants, right? So of course, if you have any, cookies or candy, like they need that. They need the calories they, and they need it really quick. So I always recommend if your kid is sneaking food, you know, it doesn't mean they're a bad kid. It doesn't mean they're being disobedient. It, it so often means that they're really hungry and they may not be getting enough fat and protein and calories throughout the other part of the day to get them there. And there's a few other reasons too that, that come into play, but to your point, like we are wired to survive. And if we're not feeding ourselves regularly, we are going to eat the fastest food possible. Just a personal story, you know, quarantine happened in March. We started, you know, huge stress in, in our family as in most families, you know, we're like working out of our two bedroom apartment, two parents working full time and then trying to educate the children and keep them sane, you know, crazy stuff. So I went from having a really consistent routine feeding myself schedule to suddenly my work time goes from like, you know, eight to one, and that's my only child-free work time. So guess what I was not doing during that time? Eating lunch, right? I'm not feeding myself. So suddenly I'm not feeding myself well. Come afternoon, I finally get out of that crunch period, come afternoon, all of a sudden I'm like just eating potato chips and like whatever Crackers, whatever carbohydrates I can find, right? Because my body is like, you starved me and I need some food to survive, right? Or so if I just eaten, fed myself a decent lunch, then I would have been fine in the afternoon because I would have been, my body wouldn't have been like, you starved me, <laughs> yeah. you know? So feeding ourselves is so important. If we can teach our kids to care and beat ourselves regularly that just solves a lot of solves a lot of problems energy problems health problems you know concentration problems
0: yeah I, it, and it makes it makes perfect sense and, and the idea of leading by example too right because and you touched on it earlier another way but kids learn more by seeing than they do by being told right right so you know we're and i and I've, I've met a lot of parents and i've met you know my i've met my I've talked to my siblings and you know, it's we have a lot of people that separate what they feed their children versus what they eat themselves. Mm. So how do you work with parents on the idea of the importance of of leading by example um, and providing the example that they they want their children to follow?
1: Yeah, so I think this is really tricky. There's several influences that have really kind of indoctrinated our thinking. So this diet culture is one you know, this obsession with changing our body size and losing weight and that sort of thing. And that may lead parents to eat certain foods, right? And then there's also this this idea that has been pushed on us dramatically of kid food. That is a thing that marketers developed for foods that are easy to eat on the first bite for kids. And this idea that kids need kid food and they they can really only learn to eat kid food. Whereas the reality is kids can learn to eat whatever we serve them regularly. Now, it could be much harder for some kids than others, right? So like you have a child who, who is struggling to eat more than a handful of foods, mm-hmm. right? Eating is harder for him than it is for other people. And that's why he's eating less foods. So we just have to keep some of these factors in mind. But I think the most important thing is to begin to eat with the child. Now I call them family meals. A family meal does not have to be this thing where you're always sitting down at five o'clock every night with the entire family. Not all families can do that. If you can, great. But if you can't, do not despair. You can You could do it at breakfast. You could do it at lunch. You could do it on the weekend. You could do it for snacks, right? The idea is we're sitting together and my child is watching me eat the foods that I want my child to eat. Maybe it's vegetables and hummus. Maybe it's the chicken and broccoli and rice, you know, whatever that is. Now, if my child is extremely picky, I'm always going to make sure, always, always, always that there's a safe food there Mm -hmm. on the table. There is a safe food that they feel comfortable with. There may be times they choose not to eat it and that's fine. It's always their choice, but it's there. It's there for them to say a few things, to say, you are important at this family meal and there is a food that you can feel comfortable with. It's also there to say, this is part of the family meal. It's not a special food for you. Everybody can eat the chicken nuggets if they want, not just the picky eater. Uh-huh. And these sorts of changes begin to change the mind of the parents and the picky eater. There is just food and we're all learning to eat food over time. And we're learning to we're learning to try new foods. So modeling that is so important though. It shows your kid that it's not poisonous, you're not dying. It shows your kid how to chew. It shows your kid how to approach the food, how to get it in your mouth. There's all kinds of things. I mean, eating is not a simple task. It's not like you just get the food and swallow it, right? You got to pick it up. You got to bring it to your mouth. You got to chew it up. You got to move it around with your tongue. You got to do all these things. Then you got to swallow it. Then you got to drink some water. You got to make sure it's all out of your mouth. You know, so right. many things. Your kid needs to watch you go through that as many times as possible. And the more you show your child and you're eating the same foods as your child or you're eating the same foods that are available to your child, the bigger an impact it's going to have and the healthier you're going to be because you are going to feel less stress. And as we know, stress is one of the worst things for your health. Not that I'm willing yes. to talk, but <laughs> but the, the less stress that we can experience at meals, better we absorb food, the better we digest food, the better our nutrition, and the better we feel.
0: I'm laughing because we, I have a, I have a rice cooker that's always going. I always have brown rice going in this cooker because that's probably 90% of my of my carbohydrates sometimes.
1: Uh-huh.
0: It becomes a convenient food for me. But the mm-hmm. kids started to like it, which is great, right? I consider that a yeah. win. I'm, I'm so happy. So, I, But now I have to deal with my other OCD side of my 18-month-old trying to spoon brown rice It is, you know, he'll get enough for him, which is good, but, but the other three quarters go all over the floor. So it's, it always comes with the mess after, but, but he's eating a healthy food. And so the last thing I'm going to do is say, I'm going to worry about the mess. I can't, I I, got to let the mess go because, which is hard for my brain. I'm just not good at that.
1: Yeah, you know, but that mess is so important to little toddlers. It improves their sensory experience of food, which helps them yeah. not be picky. The more we can let get kids get messy, the better. It's so important.
0: Well, I'm glad you said that because I they just define my toddler at every meal pretty much. I know, Greek. all over the face, all over uh, their It's avocado, Greek yogurt. I mean, whatever mm-hmm. it is, it's I, our habit has become bath time is right after dinner time because right. it, it just – and it's either that or the house will have whatever he has.
1: Right. Oh, yeah. I know. The top phase is not easy in terms of keeping things clean. I remember just finally being like, look, this is my kid. He always has food on his face. Get over it. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. I, I've definitely made peace with it. I, I've let it happen more now than I used to be like that immediate cleaner. Mm-hmm. Like as soon as it touches for it, I clean it and they do it yeah. again. I'm like, what am I doing? yeah uh, and now it's an hour later I'm like yeah, we'll get it I love it
1: that's so good for a sensory system to let that go and to just have a cake on his face
0: oh we' well, good well, <laughs> it really now, is. well I'm gonna tell my wife you said that so I can yeah. <laughs> I can get away with letting it go a little bit more portion sizes that's one thing I, I want to make sure we touched on today uh, how do the one it, you know and in our I love our pediatrician we've you know every stage we go to we walk out with a different a different chart and i you know and, and I love it so it is it is helpful. But a lot of the times the chart gets thrown into the back seat of the car on the way home and how many people actually use it. Where, where do you start with portion sizes and how does that change? And How quick does it change from, you know, from from toddlers beginning to eat these types of foods through teenager?
1: Yeah. So this is this is kind of a mindset shift. We've begun to focus a lot on portion size as a culture largely as a result of diet culture and kind of nutrition science and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But if we can teach our kids to understand how much food their body needs, they are always in charge of their portion size. And it changes our experience of feeding them because if we're focused on portion size, we're freaking out because we're like, oh my gosh, I didn't eat enough. He ate too much. What if he gets bigger? What if he gets smaller? We're concerned about our child's size, which is something that we do not have control over and we were never meant to have control over. And, and we are, it really adds a lot of stress to us Mm -hmm. for no reason. When we're feeding kids, we can let them 100% be in charge of how much they eat. That's their job. They are the only ones who are in their body. We can actually not know how much they need. Again, medical conditions aside where, you know, kids need a feeding tube. Sure. So we really, really need to build their capacity to listen to their body because this is a skill that they're going to need for the rest of their life. So what I say is like, start with a small, like when you're, when you got a baby, whether you're doing baby led weaning or whether you're doing puree feeding, you know, whatever you're doing, start small, a small amount they want more, they will tell you. They'll put their their face forward. They'll open their mouth. They'll grab the spoon. They'll shove it in their mouth. They will, if they want more, they will take more. As they become toddlers, same thing. Toddlers will feed themselves. They'll open their mouth. They'll ask for more. They'll ask you to feed them, whatever. You know, the toddler is going Mm -hmm. to eat. And as soon as they lose interest and start throwing the food, that is a great time to say, oh, it looks like they're done. Okay, you can get down, right? right? So the more we instill the confidence in the child that they know the right amount to eat, then we help them listen to their body. And they may get bigger, they may get smaller, they may alternate over time, but it's not our job to control the size of our kids. Now, there's one exception that I use, and that is I often recommend if you do choose to serve dessert like with a dinner or lunch or something, that you serve it alongside of a meal and you serve a child size portion. The reason that I use a child-sized portion with a major meal or snack is because it's just really too easy to just eat the cookie for dinner and eat 18 cookies for dinner. And we don't really want to be encouraging that. And this is also a method that Ellen Satter, kind of the guru of child feeding, has recommended that's been time-tested and I have seen it take dessert off of pedestal time and time again. Now I also, you know, not to get into a whole dessert conversation, but I also have times where my kids just eat their fill of, of dessert foods. Maybe it's snacks or things like that, but that is the one time where I would restrict a portion. The other time you would restrict a portion is when you run out, you know, blueberries are super expensive. I think (laughs) it's, unreasonable to think that everyone in a family of five or four or three or two is going to be able to eat as many blueberries as we want especially if you have one of those toddlers who will just eat like oh, yeah. buckets of blueberries right yep. so if you're if everybody fair share is 10 blueberries then everybody gets 10 blueberries and that's just that's just the fact And you say, there's no more available for this meal, right? So there's times where you set boundaries like, hey, there's no more chicken, we're out. There's no more available for this meal. Would you like some more rice? Having them be able to fill up on foods that are safe for them and be exposed to all the meals, but let them be the decision makers for how much they eat is so powerful lifelong for developing a good relationship with food and also eating a variety and eating the right amount for their body.
0: Well, again, I feel like you're talking directly to me because the blueberries will go in a day. I mean, yeah. and you, buy, you buy two little whatever quarts they come in and yeah. they're gone. I mean, they're, right. they're, they're gone immediately. <laughs> you know, my 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 question kind of came twofold, too, because I, I'm someone that self-diagnosing grew up with a bad relationship with food. I was overweight. I was a big eater at every meal. It wasn't like I just snuck at night, but I would sneak food at night. But I would also like my parents were not. We were straight. It was the opposite. If anything, it was a traditional Italian family where just food was very abundant thing. It was a part of everything, mm-hmm. but I'd have huge breakfast, huge lunch, huge dinners and sneak more in between and sneak at night. And like, I mean, abnormal quantities, it was just a problem that carried me into early adulthood. Mm-hmm. Maybe problem's not the word, but I'm realizing that there could be other factors that, you know, that, that could, that could influence it. I guess it's, it becomes a, it's a, it's hard for it not to be a worry for me. sometimes to say like, okay, well, do I have to teach portion size? Is it important to, because if I don't, are they going to follow the same issues that their father had? Um, So it's hard for me sometimes to balance everything you said makes perfect sense. Yeah, It's just, sometimes there's this, there's this connection that I have that makes it a challenge.
1: I think a lot of us have this fear and, and there's also like a very strong fat phobia in society as well. Like we think, oh my gosh, like, being in a larger body is bad and it means I did something bad. Whereas, and I recently just did an Instagram story on this. This was mind blowing to a lot of people, but like there's a lot of factors that determine our weight and there's probably a lot of factors as you were growing up that, you know, caused you to be eating so much and not kind of listening to your body. And obviously like I am not in the position to, to figure those out, but I, I think often there are a lot of factors and the most important thing that we can do for our kids. So we could teach portion size, we could. But what happens when we teach portion size is we teach them this is good, this amount is good and this amount is bad. This amount is good, this amount is bad. But the reality is, if you're going through a growth spurt, is this amount good? If you ate so much yesterday that you're not hungry today and you don't eat that much, are you still good? Right. And so we begin to attach these moralities to eating a lot, to eating a little, whereas our bodies are actually in flex all the time. Right. So, you know, yesterday, my kids were outside for 10 hours and and they didn't eat a lot. So guess what? They're probably going to eat like crazy maniac (laughs) adults today. Right. Whereas, you know, maybe they ate like crazy maniac adults yesterday and today they're like they just pick at their food the entire day. I could get really worked up and and they could also get worked up because they're like, oh my gosh, I was bad because I ate so much and that's not the right amount. But then today I'm not eating enough and then my body's going to be in trouble, right? And so we're adding all this morality and the more of this kind of morality and complication that we add, the more soupy it becomes, the more we don't really know if it's the right amount or not. But if we say, if we as parents, provide the structure. And we say, this is when we eat. We eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then we eat our two snacks or three snacks or one snack, whatever works for your family. We had that. And then we also, as the parents, we provide the meals and snacks. We decide what's going to be served. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe we take some input for the kids, but, you know, in general, we we decide. And then we also decide where and how we're going to eat. So we're going to eat at a table or we're going to eat sitting down and it's going to be formal when we eat. We're going to be sitting. We're going to be eating without distractions. We're not going to have screens on, right? These are all things that enable kids to listen to their body. And that's our job as parents. It's our job to provide that structure, those boundaries that say, look, you got to figure your body out. That is not my job. That's your job. But it's my job as your parent provide the structure as best I can, which is not going to be perfect, but it's still going to be good. I'm going to provide the structure for you so that you as this little person can listen when it says, hey, I'm hungry or "Hey, I'm full, right? And we don't get involved. We don't get involved and say, oh, is that enough? Is that too much, right? We just let them figure it out. And yeah, some days they're going to eat too much. Some days they're not going to eat enough. But if we're providing that structure, then we're giving them the gift of learning to listen to their body and that will help them as they get older to not feel deprived to not feel like they need to kind of sneak food we're gonna eat with them we're gonna bring it out to the open if they have a big obsession about something we're gonna you know include their diet for a little bit we're gonna meet our kids where they're at but we are really going to provide that structure so that they can learn to grow into their body now we cannot control our children's genetics if they genetically have a larger size body, anything we do to try to give them a a smaller body is going to be damaging to their, them. And it's going to cause them to grow, go off their trajectory, probably in, you know, a way that would make them unhealthy, right? Some people just genetically have a large body. Some people genetically have a small body. This is just the fact. And, the more we can get out of the way and just let our child try to give them that gift of being able to live their genetics, the
0: better. I love that advice. I love it. Jeff. I want to be cognizant of your time here as we go, but I do want to hear about your Better Bites program. You mentioned it a couple of times. I would love to hear more about what that is and who gets involved. And-
1: yeah. So, my, better Bites is my, my, my program for the families of picky eaters, and it basically... First, we reduce your mealtime stress. That is my number one goal. Let's get that stress down. So we go over how to create that environment, how to help your child have positive interactions with foods. And then we moved on to advanced methods, how to help your child learn to try new foods. It's the most comprehensive picky eating program there is. It is full of resources to give you the tools that you need to help your child, whether they're minor picky, like, or whether you're just feeling stressed and you're like, they're not that picky, but I'm so stressed, right? I can help you with that. Two, my child eats five foods, and I don't know what to do. Feeding therapy didn't work. I need to know what I need to do on a daily basis to help them. I give you that too. So it's really, it's really comprehensive and gives you what you need. Now, if you're more looking for like, hey, what's the cliff notes of what we, ta- what we talked about today? I have a free picky eater guide that talks about mealtime structure. It talks about picky eating and it's super helpful and that's available on kidsycolor.com or you know tiktok instagram all the all the places where where people
0: are that was my next question was where do people find you But i think you just probably listed a bunch yeah
1: yeah uh you know facebook pinterest instagram tiktok tiktok is my new place
0: (laughs) okay well i will have all those listed in in the show notes as well so people will be able to go and direct click and, and get right to you but uh Jennifer, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Very helpful for me personally. So I know it's gonna be helpful for everyone else listening as well.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Mike. It was great to be here and great to chat.
0: Thank you very much. Stick around for one second. To my listeners, thank you. Don't forget to rate and review and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.lifestyleasmedicinepodcast.com and visit www.marhealthandperformance.com and at Mar Health and Performance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day, and see you next time.